Welcome to Your Path to Real Wealth, where we explore how to cultivate real wealth, which is so much more than money. It's the sum quality of our values, relationships, health, sense of purpose, time, charitable giving, legacy, and more. Your path to real wealth begins now. Well, welcome back to another episode of Your Path to Real Wealth. I'm Benjamin Cummings from Blue Barn Wealth, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeff Brimhall. How are you today, Jeff? Fantastic, Benjamin. How good. Well, we're excited for another great episode. Uh, We've got a great guest on. Jeff, do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest for today? Yep. We have the privilege of speaking today with Bart Spencer. His nickname, for anybody who doesn't know him, is the DI Nut. That stands for Disability Insurance Nut. And if you're ever around him when he's speaking, he'll throw a bag of peanuts at you. That's how he's marketed and branded himself. And everybody knows Bart is the DI nut. And we're excited to have him on to teach us today about disability insurance. And we'll let Bart ex- uh, introduce himself a little bit more in a minute. But Bart, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here with you guys. And for anybody who's listening, yes, if you were with me, you would have a, you'd walk away with a bag of peanuts. But since you're not in person, pretend you had one. <laughs> Bart, maybe tell briefly tell us about yourself and how you got into disability insurance. In 1992, I started in the insurance business with a, a well-known national company, and this particular company had a disability product of their own making and creation, and they would send a, a person down from their home office to teach us about disability about every six weeks. Even though this carrier had other insurance products, the disability piece of it struck home with me. And I I just took a liking to it. And from there, you know, over time, I just developed this passion for disability insurance. And and, and in the insurance world, disability insurance is called DI. So if you hear me use that term, that's what the acronym stands for. Bottom line, since that time, I've been quite uh, engaged with disability insurance. Starting in 2007, I... uh, went full-time into doing nothing but disability insurance in a couple of different levels of the industry. Currently, I am a uh, the director of disability at Allegis Advisor Group here in uh, Sandy, Utah, and I spend my time helping agents and their clients understand what disability is and how it works. Thank you. What a great background, and I know you're an expert in the field, and you've been doing it a long time, so we're excited to learn from you today. Bart, this is great. We're like like Jeff said, we're excited to have you today. I was wondering if you could help set the stage for us uh, as we get started by just helping us understand what disability insurance is and why it's needed. Benjamin, we all have common habits. We like to eat, we like a roof over our head, we like some entertainment. All of those are driven by our need to generate income, and we go to work every day to do that. And if something interrupts our ability to go to work, we start turning our pockets inside out looking for income sources. But the best source you can look to is disability insurance. Now, what that is is it is income replacement insurance. Your employer pays you to go to work every day, and if something compromises your health, whether it's sickness or injury, how are you going to live if you can no longer work? And so disability is an income. It's a check. It's a paycheck that 
replaces what you would earn from your employer. That's great. So how, how common is it for someone to become disabled? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking at the two of you plus one other person here on the screen. The statistics are one in four people will become disabled in their working career time for a period of 90 days or longer. Now, where did I come up with that statistics? And for those listening, you may want to go to a website called disabilitycanhappen.org. It is sponsored by the Council for Disability Awareness, and there you will find all kinds of data as to the causes of disability, the durations of disability, and uh, it's very user-friendly, but it's one in four. Wow. So don't think that it can't happen to me because for the four of us here, everybody holds up your hand and say, not it, and whoever is slow is it. Wow. Wow. Pretty common, more common than life insurance claims. I mean, the risk of disability is a lot higher than even death, but it seems that people are much more inclined to get life insurance than disability insurance. Well, people can understand the concept that somebody passes away, but they maybe don't think that it really happens to people. And especially if you go to the mall or the grocery store and you see this whole row of parking spaces reserved for those with disabilities and they're empty. And so people think that nobody gets disabled. Well, the truth of it is a lot of the disabled people can't get out to fill those spaces. And so it happens more often than we think. Well, do you have any examples of people that weren't expecting a disability and then it happened to them? Well, I'm going to share one right off the bat that, uh, happened just a month ago. I get a phone call from a, uh, a lady who wants to be an insurance agent, and she lives in a very beautiful mountainous place here in the western United States. And uh, she's looking to sell disability insurance, and I ask her her motivation, and she tells me the following story. She and her husband, about a year and a half ago, the husband decided they should have some disability income protection. 35 years old, roughly. He was a dentist, heavy on the was, but uh, they bought the coverage on both him and her, and then life moved on. Now, understand, middle 30s in a very nice outdoor area where there is ample opportunity for hiking, biking, camping, being outdoors, golfing, all those fun things that people like to do. And, uh, and they did that, and she acknowledged that they were amongst the people that age that felt that they were 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Well, guess what, folks? Uh, stuff happened. Six months into the time frame that they had their disability policy, he started having shakes and tremors and seizures. Oh, He's dear. a dentist, and he was healthy and active. And all of a sudden, this turn happened in their health, and now he can no longer practice as a dentist. I don't think any of us would go and stay in the dental chair very long with a dentist who had the shakes if you were there for a root canal or a filling because holding his tools, he would no longer be steady. So this family, husband and wife and several children, are living off of the money that comes from their disability policy payments. And so in talking to her, 
she has a very strong motivation to want to be in our industry because she is seeing firsthand what happens. And I'll just tell you that most of the disabilities that happen are usually caused by illness, not by accidents. When you're younger, you do the adrenaline things that can cause accidents. As you hit to the late 30s, early 40s, you all of a sudden find yourself starting to rust, so to speak. And here come the illnesses like the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the kidney problems. In his case, the, the, the nervous disorders, it happens. And so there you go. There's an wow. example. Real life happened just a month ago. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. You know, I, as I'm listening to this story, I'm wondering how is it that someone goes about determining how much disability insurance they need? How do you walk them through that? Disability insurance is driven by several factors on the insurability side. They insure your occupation. They insure your health and they insure your income. And so the carriers, all of them will look into those things occupationally, uh, disability policies or or occupations rather are ranked on a scale of one to five or one to six, depending upon the carrier. The more physical of the occupations typically have a number of one or two. The less physically demanding are going to be a five or a six. Well, there you go. And then according to the occupation class, they then look at your income. Now, no one can replace 100% of their income on a disability policy. The typical number is this. For every $100,000 somebody makes, they can typically have about 5000 in monthly benefits. So $100,000 annual income times uh, $5,000 per month, 12 months, that gives you 60000 a year. That is a 60% replacement ratio on your income. How come you can't get 100%? Well, if all of us could sit at home on the couch and get the 100% income replacement scenario, we would never get off the couch. We would grow roots into it and never leave. (laughs) So a 60% replacement ratio, and it's 60 to 70, depending upon the carrier, that 60% replacement ratio equates to a 40% pay cut. And most people, if they went into their job today and the boss told them, sorry, we're going to cut your pay by 40%, they would be out the door looking for another job as quick as they could clean out their desk. But if you are that disabled person, you don't have that choice. And so uh, about 60% is, is the number. Okay, good. Thank you, Bart. So let me ask you this. Uh, a lot of people have short-term or long-term disability insurance through their group plan at work. In your experience, is that adequate or should they consider getting private insurance as well? Well, let me just tell you a story and then you will know the answer to that. It's a beautiful day here in Ogden, Utah, where I am sitting right now. And let's suppose that I have a good friend that owns a a nice, shiny Cessna airplane. And he says, Bart, let's go for a little ride. And you can see how the 
snow is melting in the mountains and see what the Great Salt Lake happens to be doing as, as the waters flow into that. And I say, great, let's go for a ride. He hands me a parachute as I climb in the plane and says, hey, you might never need this, but here it is. And so I put it on and we're flying about. And he says, you know, you take a lot of pictures, Barb. Maybe if you open the door a little, uh, you could see better, take better pictures. So I slide the door open. I'm looking out. And all of a sudden, here comes an air pocket, and I fall out. Keep in mind, I have a parachute. The question is this. If this were me or any of us, would we like to know how the parachute works before we fell out? I would. You know, the employer-sponsored group plans, and I'm not bagging on, by the way, because we do lots of those, is like that parachute. Most people start a new job. They sign a whole lot of papers because they're glad to have a new job, and among them will be a a sign-up form for the employer-sponsored group plan. They pay no more attention to it than signing up and thinking and sleeping well at night. My employer takes good care of me. Well, what people should do is this. They should look into the parachute and see how it works. Because most people don't know how their group plan works. Here are the most common attributes of a group disability plan. First off, it's going to be a 60% benefit. We've already talked about that 40% pay cut. If the employer pays the premiums on this disability policy, the tax man's going to show up about the time you start getting benefits because the tax man says, pay me now or pay me later, but you're going to pay me. And so the benefits received off of that employer-sponsored plan are going to be taxed as any other income. All of a sudden, your 40% plan starts, or excuse me, your 60% plan starts to be eroded by the taxation, and it may now be well less than 50% of your prior earnings. And so you now have a problem. And that problem is you were making a full salary before, less whatever your tax rate is, and now your tax rate is applied to a, a lesser amount. And like most people, we spend about what we get, you're going to have to cut back on some things. And so the answer, the answer is this. You can buy individual coverage layered on top of your employer-sponsored group plan that will replace another 20 or so percent of your income. The good news is the heavy lifting has been done by that employer plan and leaving the part that you're purchasing to be far less expensive. But that kind of fills in the gap for the taxes and also restores you to a near-hole position when it comes to your take-home pay. So the answer is, if your employer offers it, that's a great benefit. You should sign up and take it. But in spite of that, you should also sign up for some individual coverage. One last thing I'll point out on this, and this is, again, not to bag on the The employer plans, because we, again, do lots of those. Many employer-sponsored group plans have a maximum monthly benefit that they will pay. So typically, it will be a 60% benefit to a monthly maximum of five or 6,000. That works well if you have your income in that category. But what if you're one of the higher earners in the firm and your 60% is more than the group cap? 
you're going to have a, an amazing parachute discovery when you <laughs> fall out of the plane that you're only going to get paid the amount of the group cap in spite of the fact that your 60% number is well higher than the group number. So the answer is get all the disability coverage you can, employer paid and sponsored, and get some on your own. Thank you. So what I heard you say is if you have it, understand how it works. It may not be exactly as good as you think it is because there may be some kind of a cap and it's a, um, you recommend, and it could be very beneficial for people to add an individual policy on top of a group policy, which they can do. Absolutely. One other thing to take into consideration, employer sponsored group plans are not portable. If you leave the disability coverage stays behind with your employer. The individual coverage you purchase is totally portable because you own it, and many of them have a provision in them that should you leave an employer plan behind, that you can increase your individual coverage without medical underwriting. So the answer is yes. Thank you, Bart. Maybe for business owners who might be listening, is there a way to make their premium payments tax deductible and still receive tax-free disability payments? It sounded like, you know, you said the tax man comes now or later, but I think there's a way for certain business owners where they can benefit on both sides. Absolutely. Now, I will be the first one to tell you that I am no one's tax advisor. And so you will want to see your tax advisor for the particulars of this. But here's, here's the basic mechanics of it. If you own a business, your business pays the premiums. Your business may deduct the premiums as a legitimate business expense. Leaving it in that format, you become disabled. Uh, you pay taxes on the benefit. However, if your tax professional will gross up the value of the premiums paid by your company in your behalf into your wages as other income, such that you're paying taxes on the benefits, or excuse me, on the premiums paid in your behalf, you have now turned your benefits into tax-free benefits. But here comes the disclaimer. See your tax advisor for details. Okay, great. So instead of paying the full premium, you could be paying just tax on the premium. Correct. And then have it be tax-free disability benefit if you become disabled. Thank you, Bart. So, Bart, one barrier that people may face in in looking at disability insurance is the size of the annual premium. You know, I, it can be expensive to get disability insurance, especially as they're thinking of if they're comparing that to term life insurance or something like that, that it, it may look expensive to that uh, to them. What do you say to that kind of a response if people are looking at disability insurance and saying, hey, it's too expensive. I'm not sure I can afford it. Well, there is a direct correlation between the cost of an insurance premium and the likelihood of a claim happening. Now, the most recent data I have heard on term life insurance claims is that only 2 to 4% of term life insurance policies ever pay out a claim. In other words, people outlive their term insurance. Well, think about how much our health insurance costs us. Health insurance costs us a lot because of the incidence of claims. And so that should be an indicator right there that if the disability premium seems expensive, there is a reason because people file claims on this stuff. And that being the case, we do not want to have someone buy a policy that they cannot afford. 
And the rule of thumb is this. Uh, and a person's disability premium should be equal to about 2% of their, of their income. If it's more than that, it's probably a little more expensive than they would pay for. And so how do we do, that, do this? Disability premiums have three components. There is a benefit amount, a benefit period, and a waiting period or elimination period, as it's called. And the most common uh, benefit period is, you know, to age 65 or 67, if you are in the professional world. Here's how we calculate how long to make the benefit period, and that drives the premium. If a person is making 50000 or less, we use a two-year benefit period. If they're making seventy-five or 80000 a year, we use a five-year benefit period. If their income falls over 100000 we then use a benefit period to age 65 or 67, maybe to age 70. And that typically puts the premium in that 2% number. However, if the premium still seems to be too expensive, you can shorten that benefit period. Say you are quoted a two age 65 benefit period. Maybe you should do a five-year benefit period or a two-year benefit. It's better to have five or two years than none. I'll give you an example. I had a lady one time that uh, was in the title insurance business. She was in her mid-40s. She was making a pretty good income. Her 60% number qualified her for about $4,600 in monthly benefit. I said to her, okay, here's your choices. If you want benefits to age 65, your premium is going to be $325 a month. How do you like that? Well, she didn't like that. And I knew that, but I had to give her a point of reference so that uh, she would know where to come from. I said, well, if we take a 10-year benefit, that's going to be oh, about 250 How do you like that? Well, I knew because she was a single mom that that still was a little steep for her. I said, well, what about if we do a five-year benefit? That's $125 a month. She says, you're getting closer. I finally said, okay, uh, a two-year benefit period is going to be $89. She said, I can afford that. I said, great, let's do that because what that means to you, should you become disabled, you live healthy and long but at some point, if the bad thing happens to your health and it's compromised, from that point moving forward for the next two years, you're going to have money coming in to replace your income while you recover, while you adjust, while you make changes so that when that two years is over, that you're covered. Well, that fit her budget. It fit her need. She has yet to file the claim, so it's obviously giving her peace of mind at night to sleep, and it has worked. It's a great example. Great example. So I, I, I know I've also heard some people talk that the riskiness of their job or the riskiness of their hobbies is how they're determining whether or not they get disability insurance. And if so, then how much they should get. What are your thoughts about that, about the riskiness of either their job or their hobbies? Well, I'll tell you what, as we discussed earlier, about 90% of the claims come from illness. And so none of us has any real crystal ball to decide when we're going to get really sick. And so uh, that being the case, uh, the 
likelihood of a risky employer. Yes, if you happen to be an underground miner or an explosives handler, you have a really risky job and there's not many carriers going to take you. But if you're in the normal work economy that we enjoy here in our country, uh, it's most likely going to be an illness that gets you. Here's an example. This happened about a year ago. I get a phone call from an insurance producer, and he says, I sold a lady a disability policy four years ago. She's a dentist, and she's thinking she might need to file a claim. And I said, okay. And he had some questions. I says, why don't we get her on the phone and let's talk to her? So here's the scenario. This woman at this point now is about 42 or 43 years old. She's a practicing general dentist. She bought the policy, you know, back soon after she left her dental training and life was good. But two and a half years ago, she started to have back problems. Her back hurt. She kept working and coming to work. But over that period of time, her back aches got progressively more aggravating. And she got to the point that she said on the phone as we're talking with her, I don't think I can do this anymore. Well, I will tell you that the vulnerabilities in the dental world, and that's similar in others, but in the dental world are feet, backs, and hands. Those are the things that if a person in that industry cannot do them, they're out of business. And so she said, I asked her, I said, so have you had to cut back the number of patients that you see? because of your back. She said, oh, yes. And like I said, she was thinking she was going to have to give it up because her back hurt. Well, I said to her, my dear friend, I wish you would have called us sooner. See, she was afraid to file a claim because she didn't know what to expect in the claims process. And I reassured her that claims are fairly paid and that this would be an okay process for her. But I said, you should have called us two years ago when this thing really started to aggravate because your policy has a provision in it that you do not need to be totally disabled in order to get some of your benefit. It's called a residual disability benefit or a partial disability benefit, depending upon the carrier. And so she could have, as her income decreased due to her lack of capacity, she could have started claiming money on her disability policy while she was still working at a reduced level. Now, one thing I will mention to you that is important, especially in the medical professions and in other professions as well, is that we are very much adamant that the policy definition of disability is own occupation, meaning that if you cannot do the duties of your occupation, in her case, dentist, if you can't do those duties, then you're going to get paid even if you can go find something else to do within the realms of your physical or mental capabilities. And so our advice to anyone is buy your disability policy. If you suspect you're going to have a claim, file it. Don't wait around to see if you're going to get better. If it seems to you that it's going to be a problem to you moving forward to keep working, file the claim. 
so that the claims people can do their job, which is to fairly evaluate your circumstance. Every claim is a custom-made thing based upon your circumstance, and uh, they will treat you fairly. Legitimate claims are paid. Don't worry about that. Bart, you mentioned the idea of some of the features of policies such as own occupation or the residual benefit. Are there any other features that someone should be aware of or that they should look for in a disability policy? Absolutely. One of the ones that seems to be on the top of people's mind right now is cost of living. You can buy a cost of living rider to put on your policy that if you become disabled and have been on your policy claim for a year, that you get a pay raise. And it's typically about a 3 to 6% pay raise. And that happens every year as long as you remain on the claim. But that seems to be pretty important to people these days is the cost of living seems to go up every time you turn around. Another one that I quite enjoy is one called catastrophic disability. It is a very a relatively inexpensive rider. What that does is your base policy pays your base amount of benefit, whatever that may be. If you can't do your job, well, maybe something happens to you that not only can't you do your job, but you need help with activities of two of the activities of daily living. Those are eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, or continence. Someone has to help you with two of those things, or you become cognitively impaired. Now, we typically associate those kind of things with people who are elderly in a rest home and they need somebody to help them with that. But I'll tell you what, folks, we are all one good car wreck away from needing help with at least two of those things. And so that rider is relatively inexpensive and it pays an additional benefit on top of the base benefit of the policy. One last one I'll take note of is this. A lot of people are young professionals or just starting out in their practice or their business, and their income is just in the process of growing. And so your disability policy may have a, a limit on how much you, you can purchase now based on your current income, but you anticipate a significant rise in income as you mature into your profession. You can buy a future increase option rider on a policy that allows you to buy more coverage later on without any medical underwriting. Because as we talked earlier, if you start to rust, you might not qualify for more coverage health-wise, even though your income is substantial. This would eliminate that need for medical underwriting. Give an example. I had a client a few years ago. I'd sold him a, a decent disability policy. He wanted to buy more, but he'd been out to his children's soccer game. In the course of watching his child's soccer game, he got beamed in the face by a really fast-moving soccer ball, and it left him with a, a minor concussion. Well, this was about the time his income was taking an uptick, and he wanted more coverage, and I knew that this detail of the soccer ball concussion was going to be an underwriting question that they would probably postpone the increase of coverage if he were just to play and apply for more coverage. Good news for him. Everybody can sleep well at night. We had put that future increase option rider on his policy. 
they didn't ask him any questions about his soccer ball concussion because this was underwritten strictly on the increase of his increased income. And so this is a way to get more coverage should your health take a downturn. Now, I would advise you, if you're close to the line in the soccer game, be careful where you sit <laughs> and be, watch where the ball's coming. But that's another story. But so, the answer, you said, Oh, go ahead. Uh, so there's some few things you can add to the policy. It, of course, adds to the premiums, and you may need to decide what is valuable to you according to your budget and your concerns. And you said that uh, one in four people could become disabled. It's a pretty high amount. So 25% of, of everyone might end up needing disability insurance, but it's kind of one of those things that we know we should get or we know we should pay for. Uh, and we, we've talked that it's a little bit expensive, but probably something that people put off doing. What have you found eventually gets people like to buy the life, the disability insurance? What What's the turning point for them? What, what motivates them to buy it? What typically starts them on that process is they see a friend or a family member who suffers one of these things and they go, oh, it could happen to me. Now, one of the great things that happened to the disability benefit, or business rather, was COVID. All of a sudden, people started recognizing their vulnerabilities to their health or their jobs. And so the year that COVID was rampant in our society was an extremely good year in the disability business because they could see people getting sick or having changes in their employment. And so it's typically having something happen to someone they know or love and going, ooh, that could be me. When you talk about the chances of disability happening, I'll just point one other thing out for you guys. You know, I'm going to be getting on a plane here in about a week. If we knew or thought that one in four airplanes we flew on was going to crash, you know, how nervous would we be about getting on a plane? Well, they have an immensely good track record in the airline industry in that regard, far better than we have in our health industry, so to speak, even though the medical people do a great job of helping us. You know, our inherent nature of being human you know, allows us to have sicknesses happen to us. And so that's where we need to have a realistic look and say, hey, what could happen to me that would keep me from working? And if something were to keep me from working, what is my circumstance or what is my plan to keep the roof over my head, the food in my kids' bellies, and to keep my life as normal and stable as possible? And I can tell you, that in spite of the perceived higher cost of disability premiums, when you go on claim, you don't care how much you paid for those premiums because you're thankful for the paycheck to come in. Yeah. Bart, thank you for being on with us today. We have one final question for you. We like to ask this to all of our guests as the final question because we're focused on helping our listeners create real wealth in their life. So uh, our question for you is, what is real wealth to you? I'll tell you what real wealth is to me, and that is, among other things, being able to do things with my family, being able to spend time with them. I've been lucky enough to enjoy good enough health that I can still do a lot of those things. 
But being able to sleep well at night, knowing that I have done all the right things, is what makes me feel wealthy. Thank you, Bart. Love our relationship with you and all the help you've given to us over the years. It's been fun to uh, work with you and appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with our listeners. Uh, hopefully, those of you who have listened, this has been beneficial and is aiding you in creating real wealth in your own life. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe, tell your friends. And if you have specific questions, you can reach out to us through bluebarnwealth.com. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Your Path to Real Wealth from Blue Barn Wealth. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and any guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Blue Barn Wealth. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for personalized investment advice. Because everyone's situation is unique, always seek the advice of a qualified financial professional with any questions you may have.